0: Um, I wrote 50,000 words in a month and my hair was on fire as I'm writing. Right. And I've got I've got no time for outlining, no time for is it was this the inciting incident, no time for, you know, what's my character's, uh, you know, wants and needs. I just wrote it. And so what I found and what seems to work is I write as fast as I can to get to the end of the first draft. Um, and then I go back and I do a reverse outline of everything that happens that, that I've written about. And then I try and then figure out where the story is, because I don't I'm not sure where the story is. Uh, and at the at, when I may when I'm starting the writing, I go, right. well, I think I'm going this way. This is the theme. This is the uh, this is what's going to happen. And sometimes I know, sometimes I don't know. Um, but I get to the end and then I go back and then I and then I sort of fill in the blanks and then I'll go ah. Uh, the, the second draft is to figure out what the hell happened in the first draft.
1: Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. This is Joanna and I'm your host. Today's guest is Tony Olivier, the author of the thriller novel, The Amsterdam Deception. Tony has stacked hay bales, picked tobacco, pinstriped cars, and bartended to Canada before settling in Vancouver. He's worked for Apple, IBM, and Microsoft. He writes thriller novels and does, and does most of the cooking for his family. And I've gotta say, um, Tony and I are trying out very first time new software. And um, Tony, given you work for Apple, IBM, and Microsoft, I thought if I was going to try new software with anyone, I am glad it's you. (laughs) So welcome, Tony.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I was looking forward to this.
1: With the bio I just read, you have lots of life experiences to draw upon for your characters do you
0: um i do and it's you know when you when you're born and you start going through life you know you you rarely a lot of people don't take a job and go oh that'll be good 20 years later for for writing um however (laughs) i've i've had some you know i've had some i've been in a corporate role for you know the the last number of years but um you know my 20s um i worked with. let me just say my my day when I worked in the nightclub was I'd get up about noon I'd have breakfast um, I would have uh, lunch around dinner time and then my dinner would be at you know two or three o'clock in the morning and usually go to bed by five in the morning so my day was completely turned around and and I worked with a lot of people that uh, you wouldn't consider fitting into a corporate environment you know and there was um, you know combination of um, people with lots of tattoos and um, uh, different kinds of society. And so I got a chance to, to see sort of that side of things. And then, um, several years ago when I was with, uh, IBM, uh, they sent me on uh, some international trips and I started traveling. And, and, uh, as you notice, I based my, uh, at the start of my novel in Amsterdam and, uh, I got to realize as I was, you know, both reading books and watching movies and then being able to travel to these places that I've read about, um, you know, I've started to sort of add my sort of background growing up into these international situations and, and able to draw, you know, a, a lot of situations from from that kind of travel.
1: That's really cool. So the one thing I don't see in your bio and for our listeners, I am not being cheeky or sar- or sarcastic, but I don't see ballerina in your bio because your hero David Knight is a male ballerina, correct?
0: Yeah, he's um, he's a male ballet dancer. Uh, ballerina's is on the the female side of things from a dancer, um, and so how that got started is my uh, my wife. Um, of now, almost 25 years, uh, uh, was a dancer in Toronto, and she went to the National Ballet School in Toronto to become a, a ballet teacher. And over the, you know, the three or four years she was going to school, and then sort of subsequent years after, um, I've been more involved in the ballet environment <clears throat> or the ballet world, you know, as a as a husband, and my my daughter was a dancer as well, and it was interesting my uh before kids we were over in we were actually over in france on a on a trip just a, a vacation and uh we um we attended a ballet in bordeaux uh a city in sort of southern france and uh one of the pieces was a was an all male ballet uh, it was a a dance of all men and it struck me and it's it's sort of self it's very obvious when you look at it now but but male dancers and dan- female dancers are incredible athletes uh just from their you know the flexibility and the strength and I remember at that time thinking well that's a that's a great idea for a for a um you know for a character sort of an unusual character in a um you know in a uh thriller or an action thriller which was at the time I was I wasn't sure what I was going to write but I had that idea um and I also had the you know the the, ver- the close proximity with uh, the ballet world because of my wife so that's that's really how that got, um, got started.
1: That's neat. That's very neat. So that really fits in with um, the research I've done, where it says that you like taking the not typical occupation and um, creating a character with that person. So I get that's where uh, David Knight comes from.
0: Yeah, he's yeah he's not the uh, he's not the typical ex Navy Seal uh, turned uh, you know. Uh, the save the world kind of character that you find in, in most of these, um, you know, most of these stories. Um, and I, I tend to write, I'm finding, uh, and it's not really intentional, but I seem to be writing um, in other, other novels that I'm working on. I've got kind of non-traditional characters that are put into situations. Um, and I, you know, try and then build the story from there.
1: That, that's cool. Yeah. So, can you give our readers, readers, our listeners, a summary of what the Amsterdam deception is about? And trust me with a name like Vanderfluk. When I saw Amsterdam in the title, it, it definitely had my interest.
0: So, on, on the the blurb on my book on the on the back, but I'll sort of and I'll paraphrase it. But you know, on. Uh... On my main character David Knight's his his first real trip out of out of Canada. He's actually Canadian, based out uh, of living in Toronto. Um, on his first international trip uh, in Amsterdam with the National Ballet of Canada, um, he uh, is essentially ambushed as he and another friend are are walking through the red light district in Amsterdam, and uh, and he's knocked out, and uh, he's injected uh, in a clinic with the memories of a dead spy and the memories contain um, a secret to a device that can make or break a, a billionaire's tech company. Um, they really need to have this. The device has been lost or it's been hidden. And the only way they can uh, they can really find out the location is to recreate the last 30 seconds of this uh, Cold War spy's life. So he, David has been, has been picked. He's a suitable candidate. Um, he's young. He's healthy. He's actually also drug free, uh, drug or alcohol free. He's got an uh, allergy to alcohol and he's, um, he's injected. But what happens is that these memories um, essentially download into his, his brain. They get more than the last 30 seconds um, of the spy's, um life. And he's um, the, the memories kind of break him free of this, of this clinic. And he staggers out into the Amsterdam uh, cold in the sort of middle of winter. He's in a, he doesn't. He's in memory in a place that he's never been to before, um, uh, chased by people that he doesn't know, uh, with memories that he doesn't really want, and he has to f- figure out really how to uh, uh, get back his life and actually get back to the to the ballet or get back to some semblance of normal of normalcy.
1: That's loaded with conflict. Lots of conflict there. Um, that's yeah. Okay. So as I was reading. And I hope this comes across as a compliment. Our hero, David, he's chased, he's beaten, he runs from train to train. Um, and when I'm reading it, I am, it's like I'm right beside him. I'm right beside David as we're going from train to train. I know at one point I was thinking, okay, can we catch a breath? <laughs> right? is he, he is just going and uh, your fight scenes, uh, quick legitimate i was wondering you touched upon your experience but for those fight scenes like i said hook uppercut um any particular experience you draw upon um anything you may have seen as working as a bartender my spouse once used to be a bouncer and he has told me you don't have to be big to take a big guy down (laughs)
0: that's that's absolutely true so my, my background around, you know, fighting and martial arts is, you know, as a teenager, I took uh, karate uh, for several years and, and really enjoyed it. And um, uh, sort of in my, my late 20s, I, I started doing some Aikido. Um, and then just recently, uh, and I know we're going to talk about this, I've been doing uh, boxing mostly for, for personal training. And, and so I'm, I, I seem to, and, and it's it's just because I've been doing a fair amount of writing, I seem to be able to visualize uh, a fight scene reasonably well. And I've got some friends that are, I've got a friend who's an RCMP officer in, uh, in Vancouver, and I've got um, some other friends that are, you know, either boxers or, you know, other, um, you know, other martial artists that can help me sort of, um, Give me a sanity check on this because it's you know when you hit somebody you typically they don't go down immediately unless you're you're very good at what you're what you're doing um so i've got i do have a little bit of background on that i'm certainly you know i've never <laughs> never been in the ring i've i've fought a couple of uh, a bouts in karate just from a tournament sort of many years ago but um but thank you for uh 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 liking those kinds of things because i do struggle with that and i i read a lot you know i read a lot of sort of suspense thrillers and there's certainly fighting that goes on um in most cases you know in a real fight there's so much adrenaline going back and forth uh it takes a fair amount of calm in order to be able to sort of plan your plan your shots and be able to handle the the either the the size or the number of people that are that are uh, you know coming towards you at the same time so so thank you for
1: that well that's it like if with your fight scene um you don't want to say, "Oh, he punched me, punched me again." I you know, you know, like you you don't want to be repeating the same verbs and it, it's you're almost being a choreographer when you're writing those fight scenes. Do do you think that? Do you feel
0: like yeah, that? Like- yeah, I I agree and um I I tend to uh so so my writing style and I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about that as well is Um, I tend to do timed writing. Uh, And so the way timed writing works for, you know, for any of your listeners who are, who are writers or want to be writers is um, you start with a start line and you, you write as fast as you can uh, to a, to a time limit. It might be five minutes. It might be 20 minutes. And I found that particular method works really well because I can write, um, I can write uh, quickly and the, the critic that sits on everybody's shoulder saying, Oh, you can't say that, or that I wouldn't say it like that, or you've missed a space or, you know, whatever um, can't keep up. And so more of the, uh, what I find is more of my um, the writing comes out, the the characters come out and then once I've got it down, I can go back and then do the editing and then I can move things around. But I, it seems like got sort of more of the kind of the raw creativity seems to hit the page um, without any uh, kind of filters. And then I can sort of back it off if I've, if, if it doesn't make sense, but it seems to make that process seems to do a better job when I'm doing those kinds of scenes than sort of planning out and going to kind of going slower. If you kind of get what I mean.
1: Yeah. I don't think I've ever tried timed writing <laughs> and and now I do. Now I want to try it and, and see, uh, see, see what comes, what comes out on the page. That's for sure. Now, the other thing you were mentioning when you're talking about your hero, David, and um, having the memories, of this other individual. I saw on your Facebook page, you had an article, Time Cells in Our Brain, um, and it has to do with memory. And I was curious about that. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that, especially given we are in the middle of a pandemic, when it comes to what I can remember from March 13th onwards, the pandemic hit. We all joke, oh, this day has rolled into another day, has rolled into another day, has rolled into another day. So please, I'm I'm very curious about time cells in our brain.
0: Uh, just you, let me just, I just want, I have to find the article so that to, to because my memory is, is, is bad, <laughs> is this what you were saying is like, what can I, what happened yesterday versus what happened in March? Oh yeah, this is, um, this was interesting. So part of the, um, um, there's a couple things that I'll, that'll, that'll talk about that brought me to using this particular, uh, I'm going to say tool, it's not really a tool, but this particular, uh, thing in my writing, cause I write a lot about memories and both from a post-traumatic stress, both from, you know, is the memory implanted? Do I remember, am I remembering a memory that is not really there? Is it implanted? Is it, you know, there's a lot of, there's certainly been a lot of controversy, um, you know, in the world about, you know, the idea of implanted memories. The time cells are are interesting because it's almost a time stamp on the memories. So, you know, when I remember something that happens, um, it what it looks like from a research point of view is that um, I the way the memories are almost, you know, coded uh, in your neurons is that they're put into the right order so that I know that I know, I went to the restaurant before I ate the meal and then I left the restaurant, right, as opposed to sort of separate events that I I can't put into place. So I thought time cells are really interesting. The other thing, too, that I when I was doing some research on this uh, about uh, implanted memories is they they believe and there's a there's a lot of sort of uh, science on this. That memories are stored holographically in your in your brain. Sort of if you've seen a you know a picture of a holograph, uh, like a holographic image, the characteristic of a holograph is that if you if you take a holographic picture and then you break the picture in half, you cut it in half, and then you shine the the holographic piece of film up to the light again, you still see the whole image because the whole uh, everything is is encoded in in every part of image you get sort of it gets a little more grainy as you get but i can't just sort of chop a holographic and only get part of it i'll actually get the whole thing so there's some belief uh, and there's been some research about this sort of holographic nature of of memory and then the other thing too is that they have done some some research of around memories of flatworms being able to uh, transfer memories between but you know between you know fairly um you know simple uh simple life forms so there's while we haven't really got, um, you know, examples of, of memories being transferred down between um, between people, there's certainly some science uh, behind that. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting kind of thing to play with. You know, is it a, you know, is it something I remembered or something that I remembered that I thought about? Or is there something else going on as somebody else's memories um, sitting in my, sitting in my brain somewhere?
1: That's cool. That, there's a story right there. Yeah. When Especially when you said the word timestamp.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So I see, um, definitely see almost science, science fiction. What was the original what if or spark?
0: It was um, I think the I think the first spark was it actually kind of came together in a in a in a variety of variety of ways. So I I remember very clearly uh, on my first trip to Amsterdam, which was um, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, walking around, it was—I always I think there was on a Sunday Sunday morning. I'm I'm walking around Amsterdam. I'm taking pictures, and I had this sense that this would be a you know would be a great um, a great location for a story. Um, and I've been always drawn to these sort of thriller suspense novels. Um, so I I started with the location first, which is uh, maybe a little bit uh, backwards the way um, some writers go. So I started with a with a location, uh, and then um, a, a subsequent trip. I think I started doing some writing. I wasn't sure about the character. And then the subsequent trip when I w- took with my wife, that I um, I started thinking about a male ballet dancer, uh, because of the, the the physicality of the of the dancers, and also realizing there is there's certainly been um, stories uh, with female dancers, but very few sort of male dancers in a in a suspense environment. And then I started thinking about you know some of the other you know if i've if i've got this uh dancer in a situation in amsterdam why is he there what what's causing him to be on the run who's chasing them why is he chasing him um and then i started coming upon other um i I read a lot uh as you might imagine being in the technology field and i read a lot about technology and then i came upon you know some research around um this um i say the god helmet this is this uh Uh, Michael Persinger um, research from Laurentian University actually um, talking about the uh, uh, the ability to create spiritual experiences by uh, using weak magnetic fields uh, on person's brains Um, and so I I started looking at that and there was a just a combination of things um, that that kind of coalesced and at the same time this was my first novel so I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn how to write. I'm trying to learn how to tell the story. I'm trying to make it interesting enough. And so I've sort of went through a lot of iterations in order to get the, you know, kind of the bones of the story. And then what, what you've, you know, what you've read in front of me is the fruition of, of all these things kind of together.
1: All ideas merging and, and, and making a a full, a full story. That's great. So I read a couple of your articles on Medium Dot com In particular, why is the United Kingdom the creative center of er- of everything? Seamus Heffernan, we just had a podcast last week. He and I talked about I call it the lure of London. Mm-hmm. And in your article, you write writers are the rock stars. And I wanted to know why do residents of the UK uh, believe this uh, and um, do they obviously they support their authors more, more, because really sometimes I feel in Canada and the United States, hockey and football is the religion, it, you know, is everything. So it was so cool to read. Writers are the rock stars.
0: So we were, um, I, you know, I've been to the UK several times and we did a we did a family trip, um, you know, when you could travel like on a plane. Uh, together we did a lot a year ago uh, a year ago August we were there for about (laughs) three weeks my son was actually going to uh, doing a year in Manchester at Salford University and so we got a chance as a family to go through London and then we went up to um, Edinburgh and then over to Manchester and and you know so we did lots of museums and you know I found where uh, J.K. Rowling uh, did a lot of the writing for um, uh, Harry Potter in in Edinburgh and uh, but what what struck me was, you know, there's a there's a couple of things that I believe about um, England and the UK in general is there they seem to uh, support the arts stronger in, in more ways than they do I think in Canada and the U.S. It seems to be more whether it's the school system or the the government funding or similar kind of the BBC's kind of like the CBC but. And you've also got all the history, right? So you know Canada has you know a couple hundred years of right. of, of, of history, roughly, uh, whereas the UK has got you know eight, nine, 12, 1200 <laughs> years, right? Obviously more deeper history. But I think the the other thing about the 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 UK in general is um, I think the class system. And I was thinking about this when you when you asked me this question. I think the the class distinctions within the UK, which are, you know, still there with with the monarchy that, you know, the crown is uh, right now is a, is a well-watched show. I think that has something to do with it because, you know, you can be somebody from a, you know, from a working class uh, uh, neighborhood and become a a published writer and become a, become very rich on, or, you know, be uh, getting uh, a comfortable living. Uh, writing about sort of the underbelly of the society and you don't have to necessarily have come from the best school but it just seems that the kind of the class conflict seems to drive a lot of the the stories that we've seen sort of historical stories um and then that in combination with uh i think the the british government wanting to maintain the the british culture which is really through through film and art tv and and novels so i think that's kind of the that's sort of my uh, my unstatistically valid uh, view on on, uh, you know, why I think the, you know, the artists or artists and writers are really looked as like the
1: rock stars. I absolutely love it. <laughs> now, your novel is definitely fast paced. I like to say you write what I call a cross genre novel. You have science fiction influences, and I'm wanting to know who were your influences
0: Well, I started I started reading science fiction uh, as a kid. That I believe that that actually got me into into computers um, uh, early on. Just I was so kind of captivated by technology. So some of the early science fiction writers like Isaac Asimov and um, and uh, Robert Heinlein and uh, Frank Herbert, uh, you know, sort of the and they were the big they're big writers and they're very prolific writers. Um, And then as I sort of got into my sort of teens and early adulthood, I switched more into uh, kind of the thrillers. So, uh, the Robert Ludlum's stories, the, um, and then I've been, I've been a big fan, uh, of, you know, even James Patterson and then, um, the whole Jack Reacher series, the Lee Child series, uh, I've been a big fan and it actually changed that as I started reading both James Patterson and, and Lee Child, um, I think my, my writing changed, I think the way, the way they were able to convey. And then I also started doing a lot of, uh, reading of Hemingway, he's very, very sort of short and punchy sentences. So sort of the combination, both both uh, the different kinds of both technology and the and the sort of the subject matter really kind of influenced my writing. You know, I've always been a fan of, you know, uh, kind of the, you know, the idea of the hero's journey, which was, you know, kind of popularized by, you know, Joseph Campbell, um, you know, in the in sort of the, the 70s, which, you know, George Lucas really picked up and, and ran for the first Star Wars. Um. So that's been really kind of part of my um, part of the kinds of stories that I write as well.
1: Okay. So you mentioned the hero's journey and mm-hmm. I was wondering what is your approach to writing?
0: So my, my process seems to be, and when I wrote that, when I wrote the first couple drafts of drafts of this story, I was actually going around to different writers conferences and I was talking to writers. And I remember actually at the Vancouver writers festival, uh, I was in the audience of a panel and there was a, a female writer that wrote. She was a, a sportscaster, had been a sportscaster, and she wrote about murder mysteries with that sporting murder mysteries, right? So somebody in a you know baseball or hockey or whatever um, got killed, and then there was the other other uh, writer was a, a ex lawyer, sort of legal thriller. And I raised my hand. I said, "So, what's your process? How do you you know how do you do it?" The 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 woman uh, said, "Well." You know, I know who's going to die, and how they're going to die, and I don't know anything else besides that. So I know that the you know the the football player is going to get you know hit with you know with with this, or they're going to find him in the locker room dead. I have no idea, and I have to write to that. It's like okay, so it's sort of a a pantser uh, by the seat of your pants. And I then the the legal guy said, oh yeah, I outline everything before I write anything. So I write, I outline forty pages. I don't write the story till I know exactly what's going on. I go, well, thanks for clearing that up for me. <laughs> right, and I, I realize, and and I've talked to other writers, and they're you know they're they're kind of both ways. Yeah. So what I found what really works, and and um for for anybody that's that's listening to this and you want to start writing, uh, the one thing that changed my writing is the National Novel Writing Month, uh, which is the month of November It's going on right now, and this this year I'm actually not participating oh. in it, uh, which is one of the first years. And in the National Writing Month, you commit to writing a 50,000-word first draft of a novel in the month, which works out to 1,666 words a day. And, I, I, yeah, it's, it's about an hour and a half to two hours of writing a day, um, every day. And um, this the sequel to, to the, the novel, uh, to the Amsterdam Deception, I'm in the sort of final edits of the sequel. Um, I wrote... Fifty thousand words in a month, and my hair was on fire as I'm writing. Right, and I've got, I've got no time for outlining, no time for is it, was this the inciting incident? No time for, you know, what's my character's, uh, you know, wants and needs. I just wrote it, and so what I found and what seems to work, is I write as fast as I can, to get to the end of the first draft. Um, and then I go back and I do a reverse outline of everything that happens that, I, that I've written about. And then I try and then figure out where the story is, because I don't I'm not sure where the story is. Uh, and at the at when I may when I'm starting the writing, I go, well, I think I'm going this way. This is the theme. This is the uh, this is what's going to happen. And sometimes I know sometimes I don't know. Um, but I get to the end and then I go back and then I and then I sort of fill in the blanks and then I'll go uh the The second draft is to figure out what the hell happened in the first draft. and that's that's my process. now everybody everybody's different, but that's the process that seems to seems to work well for me.
1: Now, what I'm next thinking, and uh, this may seem a little elementary, but I do get emails from listeners, and one listener said to me, what she liked was when Dave Butler talked about the three p's. Um, and I was wondering if you were asked by a creative writing student, how to explain conflict. I'm in the midst of conversations with a young writer. She's 15 Mm -hmm. and she's writing novels. So we've got a writer, this, this young girl Mm -hmm. is a writer. So if you were to explain to this 15 year old young lady, what is conflict? What would you tell her?
0: Um, There's, there's varying, there's, there's lots of levels of conflict. There's internal conflict. There's external conflict. There's conflict with a person. There's conflict with the door won't open. There's conflict with the world. You're, you won't have a story unless you have conflict and it can, and that can be multiple kinds. I could be, um, and a lot of it is the, you figure out what the writer wants and you may not know as you're writing it, but whatever they want, you got to make it almost impossible for them to get. And it could be somebody standing in your way that has different wants that is, is um, diametrically opposed to what you want, right? It's sort of like you're, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're wanting to buy a present for your, your mom and dad for Christmas and your brother or sister completely disagrees with you on the kind of present. And then you have a big fight about the present, right? What you're going to do. And then, and then they, and then from the conflict, right. there needs to, you need to go somewhere else, right? You can't just have the conflict and then and then stop. The comp the conflict has to drive an outcome, right? So the outcome is that I'm going to leave the house because I'm so mad, or um, the door my I've 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 lost my keys to my car and I've got to take a cab. So then I'm now in a different situation. And a lot of times um, when I'm writing, if I'm kind of stuck writing, um, uh, I remember reading Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, some writing advice. He said, "You know, have your character want something, even if it's a glass of water. Have them want something. Have them, you know, you know, you need to get some kind of a want going. And then the other thing too is that if you've got uh, the other thing, I've learned that I sort of keep in my mind is that if I'm in a if I'm in a conversation with two characters and and the energy is not nothing's happening and I can't I can't force it. You bring in a third character. The third character is." a knock at the door. Oh my God, who's at the door. Oh. And then, you know, you write again, what's at the door. It's the police, it's a lawyer, it's the the plumber whatever. But that then uh, jumps off into another, another area. Um, the other piece of advice, just from a conflict point of view is it's hard to, for me anticipate what the conflict is until I write it. And a lot of times I got, I don't okay. know what I'm going to write about until I write it um and so i can't i do some outlining but a lot of the a lot of the writing i do is discovery yeah and discovered oh there's a door there or i've got to go up the stairs or whatever so
1: okay that's what i miss oh my god not being at a With writing conference <laughs> <laughs> you can learn something but it's that one person explains something just a little different that you just you look and you're thinking Mm-hmm. That's right, mm-hmm. that's it. I get it. you know, so needless to say, um yeah that that's great because I want to tell this young lady, I shouldn't say young lady, I want to tell this writer about mm-hmm. the podcast and um it was great because my husband came home and it's um it's a daughter of a co-worker. And he said, So, you mm-hmm. know, I know I'm getting a bit off tangent, but I'm just, I'm very excited about this. He was saying how the daughter of a co worker, she's 15, she writes books. Um, the mom was wanting to talk to you. She has some questions about mm-hmm. writing. And I just, I looked at him and I thought, I used to write books at 15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's her name? If mm-hmm. she needs my contact, yes. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this to, to meet this, this writer. Back to your book. you. What I liked is you have conflict everywhere. I mean, your mm-hmm. character, William Morgan, he has internal conflict. He, You know, what I picked up on that he was trying to mm-hmm. do good in his father's eyes, the reverend. The reverend doesn't trust mm-hmm. his son, will do a good job. And I thought, good. This is good, you know. And, uh, and so, yeah. And you had said you don't plan. You don't. Plan these conflicts ahead of time. It's it's as in your process as you're writing.
0: Yes, in most cases. And and what I will f- yeah what I will find though That's is really that cool. I will write a scene. I I did this actually for this novel. I'm I'm going to do it for the the second one. Is um, I use uh, Scrivener as a as a writing tool for those. If any any writers that are haven't used it yet, it's a great it's a great tool. It's pretty cheap as well. Um, but I was able to score. Um, it's an arbitrary number, the amount of tension in a scene. And so I had a, a tension level from, you know, one to five or one to 10. You you need to have uh, within a novel, especially a suspense novel, you need to have varying levels of tension. I can't keep ramping up the tension. Um, I need to have a, I need to have it relax. I need to go up and relax. And so if I'm finding I've got a, a key scene, I may go back and add more, more tension. I may go at, go back and add more conflict. Um, sometimes the scene comes out immediately. That's great. Conflict is there. Other times, I you know I, I have to work at it a bit because I go yeah they're they're, they're agreeing to each other too easily. Um, they're too happy and they they can't be happy because this is a right. this is a life and death kind of story. So uh, that, that's why I go back and and do some edits that way.
1: In your novel, though, you do tackle you have this i'll say mm-hmm. the scientist and his drives and goals and then we have the the reverend right. between science yes. and religion and uh i was wondering it, it, it was based on like an experience you may have been subject to uh, or uh, may have come up like how did you so come up with that idea in
0: any so it, it's really a conflict of beliefs versus science and religion right it's you know i believe you know, my belief is right, and your belief is wrong. Right? That's the and and we see that whether it's you know the current political climate in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, you know, as an example, oh, what God, I yeah. have seen though uh, in some of the companies that I've been in, uh, leaders of the companies that are dyed-in-the-wool sociopaths because of a you know what they consider a uh, you know a, a strength in their character. Uh, and a lack of empathy from that other people would see them, you know, they will they will do all kinds of things in order to get, you know, to to get to the the end game. And there's lots of examples in you know corporate Canada and corporate America um, about um, CEOs and leaders putting profit and uh, you know their own lining their own pockets over the over the public good or the. You know the good of the employees and so on. There's there's lots of examples of that, and so you know the antagonists. I've got as you you know I've, I've got a couple of antagonists in the in the story, um, and it's a bit of a you know uh, it's a, a a clashing of beliefs, and there's some of them are you know a little closer to home, but um, you know I think as you as you uh, read through this, it's it's not hard to to see that in a lot of the public, fi- a lot of the public figures right now that are, you know, walking around the streets or they have private, they have private via, you know, private yeah. limousines that take them around, of course, but uh, it's, uh, it's certainly uh, drawn from uh, reality.
1: Gosh. Okay. So you had mentioned a bit about timed writing, which I am going to try that. I, like I said, I've never tried that before. So when you're doing your timed writing, what, what's well, your time
0: limit? Um, I'm going to give credit to, um, a couple of my mentors, they're both in Seattle. I'm going to send them the link to this when you when you post this. One fellow's name is uh, uh, Robert Ray. Um, okay. He wrote actually the book called The Weekend Novelist, and he wrote a, a series of of mystery novels. And another man is uh, named Jack Remick. Both in Seattle, they um, they're both um, uh, senior millennials now. Uh, uh, you know more more on the mature side on their on their writing. Very good writers and very good mentors. And a, a bunch of years ago at a at the Surrey Writers Conference that that takes place in um, in Vancouver every year, I took a, a class with them that was all about timed writing. And you start off, I think we start off with five minutes. And for a lot of writers that that have not done this before, uh, the idea is you start with a start line and you start with and this is actually borrowed from Natalie Goldberg's uh, Writing Down the Bones and Writing the Wild Mind or the kind of the the, the two books that she's done you start with a start line and the start line is today I'm writing about, or I remember, or, I forget. She does a lot of memoir kinds of things, but I would say, I would say today I'm writing about, and then I would tell myself a bit of the story of what I'm writing about. And then I would get into the story. And the trick is, and I you would start with a, a writing by hand. I'm I can do it by, by uh, just on a keyboard directly, but you, you yeah. don't stop. You don't cross out. You don't spell check. You don't. Uh, you keep going. And if you if you stop, as that I'm 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 empty. You start restart the start line, and it's perfectly acceptable to swear, <laughs> tell yourself stories. Just keep keep writing, because um, the trick the trick is what you're <laughs> you're trying to do is you're trying to trick your editor that that sits on your shoulder to can't keep up to sort of force them to go. Well, you can't write that, but you're going so fast that. Um, yeah, uh, your brain's not keeping up with it. Yeah. And then you're, you're getting it out. So you can start with five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, I usually do probably 30 minutes at a time. Uh, usually when I'm writing, if I go to a coffee shop, uh, when you could go to coffee shops um, I'd go and I'd write for about an hour at a time. And I, I'd, I'd get, I'd get a thousand, you know, 1500 words in an hour yeah. and, and that would give me a, a give me enough to keep going with it.
1: That's cool. I really want to try that because I and I was going to say it sounds like you basically you yes. have to turn off the self editor. The you know the self editor is turned off, and you're just boom. I'm hoping you're you're working on the sequel too.
0: I am. Amsterdam I'm Deception? in a uh, close to I hope a final draft um, of the of the sequel. The same the same uh, uh, protagonist. Uh, David Knight is. Um, is a year later. Uh, he's back in Toronto and is he's having some challenges in his life. And then he gets dragged into a another situation that, that looks like it's going to be easy and it's not. He actually ends up going to Seattle and then uh, ends up going to Tokyo, Japan and uh, ends up and sort of finishes up in Tokyo. So that's what I'm currently writing about. Nice. Different stuff happens. <laughs> Different sort of cast of characters from an antagonist point of view, but it's uh, you know the similar similar style.
1: I like talking about the books, but I want to make sure I don't give yes. give too much away. Okay, so um, winding down a little bit here. I am a retired personal trainer, so I understand. Uh, and I'm being kind of sarcastic here.
0: Oh, yeah, are, you yeah. No, just so so your listeners aren't like I'm not getting into a you know you know into the ring and, <laughs> and being pummeled. Um, there's a a woman uh, that I'm I'm working out with, and it's a, a personal trainer, but she's a boxer, and among along along with a yoga teacher and so on. And I started doing, a, so I'm doing like a a class once a week with her. It's just her and I, and you know we do a lot of sort of cardio and strength initially, and then I tape up my hands, put on gloves, and we do a number of combinations. And uh, sometimes I'm hitting, you know, she's got mitts that she wears, and she's calling out the combinations. Sometimes it's in a heavy bag. Uh, and i'm really enjoying it and i'm also using her to to help with some of the some of the fight scenes as well yeah. um so it's been so it's been good i but i'm it's it's different than just lifting weights or doing cardio uh there's more sort of timing and coordination uh which i'm i'm really enjoying doing that
1: it's a great great workout and uh but i remember doing when i was doing research i think it was right. it was on medium.com you were you were talking about it and what Made me smile is uh, she has mm-hmm. pink boxing gloves, yeah. I have pink boxing gloves. I used to do fitness classes in the morning, and uh, the women who would come in mm-hmm. they loved boxing. And the other exercise I found, which is a favorite mm-hmm. of mine, it was using the battle ropes. My hus- husband helped me with the classes, the battle ropes came out, and mm-hmm. that was one exercise everybody loved oh, way to go so in five years where do you hope to be five years well obviously out of out of oh, yeah. to yeah, uh, be out of quarantine it's,
0: it's a it's you know I, I know that you people will be listening to this you know over the next <laughs> several weeks or several months and then, yes I hope you know if you're listening to this in June we are back to in restaurants and we're traveling in that um I've got a, I, I have a job, a day job um, that I'm, I'm working for a company that's um, a software company that's based in Lisbon, Portugal. And I've been over there a couple of times um, since I started the job and I can just hardly wait to get on a plane and, nice. and really go anywhere, essentially. Yeah, in five years, um, I'm hoping to have within five, I'm hoping to get about a about a, a book a year out. It may not, this one, will, the second one will be David and I've got um, other books sort of in various stages of draft, still sort of thriller suspense novels, you know, with usually some kind of a, an unusual character or sort of an unusual situation, but I'm I'm hoping in five years to have about another, you know, four or five books um, out and published under my belt.
1: That's excellent. That's great. So this is my favorite question and it's neat because you have a different situation with your hero. So... If David Knight, as David Knight, was to step off the pages of your novel because he wanted a few words with you, what would he save, say? And if David Knight, mm-hmm. with the memories of Jonathan Brooks, stepped off the pages of your novel, what would he say?
0: I've been thinking about that question because you, you sent me that question beforehand. and. Um... I think uh, David would say, well, why did it take so long for me to show up? Because um, I'm, uh, you know, I consider myself a senior millennial. I'm actually turning 60 in about a month. Uh, and uh, I've got friends that are much younger than me uh, writing books. And I wish I had you know, delivered this book, you know, 10 or 10 or 20 years ago. Um, so I think, I think David would want to know, you know, why it took me so long. And it's just, you know, life gets in the way and kids and marriages and jobs and things like that at the same time, you know, the book, the book comes at the right time, right? It's hard to, it's hard to push something out. That's not ready. You know, there's right. uh well, there's no wine before it's time. Uh, <laughs> kind of the classic statement. Um, so that would be probably the, the thing he's going, why did it take so long? Um, the, the memory of the spy uh, would be, I think saying to me, he says, you know, I'll, you know, you've got a lot of life ahead of you still. So don't, uh, keep going and don't uh, certainly don't give up and don't get ready for retirement anytime soon. And I don't, I certainly don't plan to.
1: Neat. That's really neat. So Tony, is there anything you would like to add?
0: The, uh, the opportunity to, to speak with you today. I, I, uh, I was, I enjoyed looking at the, you know, you've sent me the questions ahead of time and, and I was uh, I'm gonna say gobsmacked by by how much research you did on the writing on the writing that I've done, uh, on the, some of the Medium articles and so on. And I just, uh, I, it was really nice to see that you've, uh, you care deeply about, uh, the, the work that you're doing and, uh, and you've spent the time to, to really, uh, understand, you know, what I was doing and, and, and why I was doing it. So I just, uh, I really appreciate you for doing that.
1: Oh, thank, you. thank you. I really, really enjoy it. So where could our listeners find you? Um, on social media uh, so
0: um, my instagram is uh, tony olivier all one word with uh, two l's uh and you'll find me on uh twitter uh author tony o uh i also have a twitter um so the author tony o is, is typically on my my writing my writing uh, uh material um i have another twitter account that's more on the on the computer side of things um and i also have a facebook uh page uh again, sort of author. Tony Olivier that um, I post things about Um, I post a lot of travel pictures especially lately because people can't travel keep the faith that we're going to get through this pandemic and you'll be able to travel again
1: definitely definitely Um, well Tony thank you Um, and as you can imagine with doing this podcast and hearing that you want to produce a book one per year I hope you come back and chat with me on your sequel and your next books. I'd I'd really like to hear about them. Uh, You have quite the imagination. And um, thank you for coming on my podcast and writing novels that take your readers on a thrill ride. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you very much.